0: Check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, where we help physicians and other clinicians master the art of integrative symptom management so they can wholeheartedly care for themselves as they expertly care for their patients. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, and today we're going to talk about talking about prognosis. Prognosis conversations are challenging for everyone. They're challenging for patients, for families, for physicians, and if they're not done really well, they can lead to so many miscommunications that can really increase the suffering of patients. So this is an important skill to get Right. Here are 10 tips for you so that you can become excellent at talking to your patients about prognosis. The first one, number one, is to use clear language. And what I mean by that is avoid vague statements like, well, we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll try this medicine and we'll see how it goes. So you know in your head what that means, but the patient has really no idea what you're talking about. And they may make up things in their head to try to decipher what you're talking about. So instead of, we'll see how it goes, something clearer would be, we will try this treatment. And if the tumor grows while you're on this treatment, we will stop this treatment and we will try a different medication. Much clearer. And avoid jargon, of course. One of the patient experiences that really sticks in my head was a mom whose baby had a mass in her belly. And they went to the pediatrician And the pediatrician said, there's a tumor in your baby's belly, and so I want you to go to Dr. So-and-so at this place. And when the mom was in the elevator and the doors opened and she saw the sign that said Children's Cancer Center, she started screaming because she didn't know that tumor meant the doctor was thinking that it might be cancer. So just be so thoughtful and careful about the words that you're saying and make sure that you're using clear, clear language so that the patient understands what you're saying. So that's one. Use clear language, no jargon. Number two, this is a big one. Man, this is a big one. People make this mistake all the time. Tell the patient if cure is an option or not an option. Now, of course, no one is asking anyone to guarantee that there's going to be a cure. Often you don't know, but you often know if cure is essentially impossible or at least extraordinarily unlikely. And when we say things like, well, you know, things don't look great. It is stage four, but we do have a treatment and we're going to start that treatment and we'll do chemo teaching And, uh, you know, you'll meet with the nurse and you're going to start treatment next week. We may think we have communicated that, well, you're stage four. Obviously, we can't cure that cancer. We're just going to try to treat it and keep it at bay as long as possible or try to shrink it. But the patient may not hear that. If the patient hears you say we have a treatment and you have not specifically said whether you're trying for cure or not trying for cure, the patient and family may very well assume that you are trying to cure their disease. So it is extremely important to at least offer the patient the opportunity to hear whether there is an opportunity for a cure or if there is not an opportunity for a cure. Many times, practicing palliative care, the patient would say, Well, no, Dr. So and so is treating me and and they I think they think they're trying to cure and I would ask the physician and they'd say, oh no, you know, obviously there's there's no chance that we're going to cure this, but you know, here's the treatment plan. So it's really important for people to know whether there's a chance of cure or not, because if there really isn't, and they think there is, when it ultimately turns out that they find out, they may find out in a really imperfect way. It's better to hear it up front from their physician. Now, that said, people want different amounts of information. So number three is ask the patient how much do they want to know. So some patients want to know everything. Some people may just want the crucial things, and other people may not even want to talk about it. They may want you to talk to the family. So you can say, so there's information that I would like to share. Some people want a lot of information, some people not so much Are you a tell-me-everything person? Are you a just-tell-me-the-most-important-things person? Or would you rather I had this conversation with one of your family members, and if so, who? Number four, it can be helpful to start with some sort of caveat if someone asks you, how long do I have, doc? So, of course, we usually start with something like, well, nobody knows for sure, or if you know that it's culturally appropriate for the patient, you might say only God knows for sure. And that brings us to number five, a helpful way to talk about prognosis in terms of length of life is to think about days versus weeks versus months versus years. And so you can say to the patient, well, I think about it in terms of days or weeks or months or years, and you can start with what is not true. So you started out by saying, of course, I don't know for sure but I tend to think about it in terms of days, weeks, months, or years. For you, in your case, I don't think it's days. I don't think it's weeks, but I also don't think it's years. So this allows you to give the patient some realistic assessment of what you think without you being pulled into saying it's three months or it's six months because studies that look at how well physicians do in terms of specific prognosis show that we're not really that great at it. But giving people a big picture is important because we may think we know what we're talking about. They may be thinking years or they may be thinking weeks when we're thinking six to 12 months, for example. Number six, allow them their emotions. So this is tough, right? It's tough. They may cry. They may get upset. They may shut down. That's all okay. Allow tears, allow agitation, allow silence. Try not to shut down their emotions. You know, sometimes if we get uncomfortable with emotions, if we see it, we might be like, okay, anyway, so, and, you know, try to shut down the conversation. Try not to do that. Even if you're running a busy clinic, even if you give somebody 60 to 90 seconds just to sit there with them in silence while they process their emotion, that's okay. And that's important for for them to see you do that. Number seven, give them some sort of reassurance, like you're getting the best treatment that we have or we're going to talk about you at tumor board and I'm going to get the input of all the experts at our center, or we have another treatment to try if this one stops working, or no matter what happens, I'll stick with you and I'll walk beside you on this journey no matter where it goes. So some kind of reassurance that feels authentic and real to you. Number eight, invite questions. So Is there anything that you're wondering about? You can ask me anything and then try to answer honestly and clearly. So try not to say, well, we'll see how it goes, because that doesn't mean anything. Try if they ask you a specific question to give them a clear, specific answer without jargon. And then ideally, you would check understanding. So ask them to tell back, meaning you just answered their question. You just told them what you think. You might say, just so I make sure I've done a great job communicating with you Would you mind telling me back what you think you understood from what I said? Number nine is to acknowledge that you're going to revisit the topic of prognosis over time. I've had several patients who went from one treatment to another treatment to another treatment to another treatment. And I think the whole team assumed that they understood that that meant that things were not going well. But at the very end, when there really were no other legitimate treatments left, these patients were often shocked because There had been a prognosis conversation early on, but then it wasn't specifically revisited later on. So don't assume that if you say something like, well, the tumor grew, so now we're going to have to try this other treatment, that the patient understands that that means that this treatment really is less likely to work as long, and it does look like you might be coming closer to the end of your life. They may not understand that. So be sure to revisit the idea of prognosis over time. And then number 10 is to acknowledge the impact of these kinds of conversations on you because you're a person, you're human, and you care about your patients. And this is hard. So this whole thing that doctors do and and nurse practitioners and PAs and nurses and other providers about like, oh, we're tough and it's fine. And this is our job. This is what we do. Just don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't do that because secondary traumatization is real. It's real. And so we have to have some intentional plan about how to manage these difficult conversations, other people's suffering, recognizing that we can't cure everybody. What do you do with that? So I really suggest that you have some plan that you do when you've had a heavy conversation with a patient. I think you've heard me talk about it before. I often would shake my hands and arms to like shake off the hard stuff. You might run, you might journal, you might talk with someone, you might wash your face, you might take three deep breaths and try to blow away the heavy stuff. It doesn't matter what it is, but do something. Give yourself a a moment to process. Gosh, that was a hard one. And go do your thing that you have chosen to do to kind of release the heavy when it comes your way. And don't just continue to receive other people's pain without having some intentional plan to release it because it's not good for you. Okay, to review, 10 things. Number one, use clear language. Number two, tell the patient if cure is an option or not an option. Number three, ask the patient how much they want to know. Number four, start with some sort of caveat, you know, who knows for sure, but. Number five, if it feels right to you, talk about prognosis in terms of days, weeks, months, or years. Number six, allow the person their emotion. Even if you only have one to two minutes, that's an important one to two minutes. Number seven, end with some kind of reassurance that you're going to be there or there's another treatment or you're getting the experts to weigh in or something, just something that feels reassuring. Number eight, invite questions. Number nine, remember to revisit the topic of prognosis over time. And number 10, acknowledge the impact on you and make some specific plan for releasing the heavy stuff. So your homework for this week is to figure out what it is that you do a small thing to release the heavy stuff. I shake my hands and arms, what will you do? Wash your face, go for a run, talk to somebody, do jumping jacks, say a prayer, rub your hands together, take a few deep breaths, figure out a plan, something little that you can do in the office and then maybe a bigger thing that you do when you get home or over the weekend. Being a great doctor or other clinician involves two paths. One is our patient care path, having all the tools that we need to do the best job we can to support our patients through the tough stuff that they're going through, ideally to fix them. But even if you can't fix them, to be there for them, to relieve their physical and emotional suffering to support them. That's one path. The other path is we have to take care of ourselves. Because when we don't take care of ourselves, our empathy goes down. And when our empathy goes down, we're not as good at our job. We're not as present For our patients, our healing presence is not as strong, so we really do owe it to the patient, not only to learn more tools to take care of them, but to actively take care of ourselves so that we can be the best possible doctor or clinician that we can be. All right, thank you for being here. I love that you listen. Please share with a friend. If you like what you hear, please write a review. It really does help me, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by the Integrative Palliative Institute. Visit our website, integrativepalliative.com. There you can access physician and clinician training, well-being coaching, free downloads, and other cool stuff. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and share your favorite episode with a friend.